Good morning. It's good to be with you today. If you haven't, you can take your Bible and you can go to Psalm 77. This will be a little bit different of a sermon for College Park. This will be a little more topical. Um, I thought in light of Memorial Day, we would study the spiritual discipline or the rhythm of remembering. Of how do we look back in order to look forward? If you're a kid, there is a kid's bulletin um, to keep you busy so I don't put you to sleep, if you can grab that. If you're an adult, I printed off these half sheets of paper. You don't need one. Um, but I know with the amount of kids in here, your own kids, you'll be tempted to be distracted at some point. And so if you do, this tells you where I'm going, where I'll be. It gives you some verses and some ideas on the back. So use that for whatever you don't remember here today. It can be a resource down the road. Let's pray as we get started. God, we do thank you for Jesus. We're thankful that we can be in this room, that we can remember his birth, death, his resurrection, and even his ascension. And we can know for sure that we have forgiveness of sins, that we have the hope of eternal life. So God, we thank you for the victory we have in Jesus Christ today. God, we pray that we would use summer well, that we would honor you with any extra time. Lord, we pray that we would build relationships with neighbors. And God, we ask that you would bless the ministry of the Backyard Bible Clubs. We pray that children and adults would hear about Jesus through this ministry. God, we thank you for the birth of Gwendolyn Burke, for Eric and Elizabeth. And we pray that you'd give them rest and that you would just equip them as new parents. Give them joy with this new baby. And God, we pray for Lou Gibbs, who's resting from a blood clot. I just pray that you would bring continued healing, that with any uncertainty or fear, you would help him to know that you are God and you are near and that he would trust in you. And God, we thank you. We thank you as well for Amy Ostrander and that her surgery went well this week. I pray for continued recovery and strength for her and for the family this week. So God, we bring all these things to you. We know that you are big and that you are mighty and that you love to hear our prayers and you love to answer. And so we ask even now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us through remembering how to draw near to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife and I, we love to travel. We enjoy day trips around Indiana. We like visiting family outside the state. We like new vacation experiences. We like all that goes into traveling. We like the memories that are made. And some of those are joyful, some of those are stressful. We like the food that we try, the sights and kind of the touristy experiences to do. We love seeing beauty all over the world and just taking it in. We love all that vacations and travel and just day trips provide. Well, as a family tradition, one thing we do is every trip we go on, kind of out of the state, we buy a Christmas ornament and we buy a coffee mug. It's not always a Starbucks mug, but it usually is. So this is our shelf at our house. And, you know, I consider coffee one of those new morning mercies every day from the Lord. And so every day, my wife and I, we have some coffee, and usually it's in one of these mugs. And it's always nice because just by using that mug, remembering either the city or the state or the country, it reminds us of those travel experiences that we've been on. And we do have a lot of strict rules about when you can and can't buy it. You can't buy one if you've just flown through a state. You know, my wife has been to a couple of those, Moscow and Budapest, and I have not. So I refuse to drink out of them. So we do have strict rules about our travel mugs. 
but we love to use them and just remember our vacations together as a family. But we also like when visitors come over and like good hosts, we serve them good coffee. And as they drink out of these mugs, we're able to share with them the stories of, oh, here's why we went to this place and here's what we saw and here's what we did. And so even something as simple as a travel mug, it gives us the chance to remember. And remembering does something to us. And what we'll talk about today is that remembering in this way, even with something small, that it takes the past and it moves the past into the present. And we'll see that in the Bible, that God commands storing up memories in recorded stories, in memorials and monuments, through our calendars, in both everyday life and in big transitions. And God tells us to remember through festivals, religious holidays, and just special days. What we see is that God builds remembering into our life to teach us about who he is, his words, his work, and his character. And so remembering, it's not just something we can sprinkle in, but remembering is actually an essential discipline for Christians. Now, because of how often the Bible encourages us to remember and because how prone we are to forget, I want to take today and just consider this idea a little more. What we'll see today is that remembering what God has done in the past stirs up belief in what God can do now. That remembering is actually a road that leads us out of fear and onto faith. It gets us out of discouragement in our circumstances and back depending on God. And so through looking back on what God has done, we actually learn to trust him for what we're going through today and what we will go through tomorrow. Before getting into our text, I just want to take a couple more minutes and explain what does biblical remembering look like? When I talk about remembering this morning, I mean the act of calling to mind something from the past and then actually living in light of it, doing something with it. This includes remembering who God is. It includes things he's taught you, answered prayer, things that he has walked you through, lessons learned, and just ways God has showed up in your life. What happens then is by remembering, we tell ourselves what's true and what's happened in the past so then we can circle back to it, that we can then enter into it again, that we can actually massage that experience or truth into our heart and mind. Remembering, it's not just merely an intellectual exercise where we recollect facts, but it's actually a participation in the past. Remembering is meant to move us and meant to change us. For example, when it comes to remembering a wedding anniversary, if I simply said to my wife, you know, today is our anniversary. I'm noting it, and I did not forget. But if I didn't do anything special, she wouldn't say, oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you remembered our anniversary. What she would expect is by remembering, I would do something different. That I would say, yeah, we got married on this day. It's a reminder of our love for one another, our commitment. And so there should be some kind of special action. Not just going to Chick-fil-A, but we go to a real restaurant. Maybe I write her a note or do something special. But the point of the remembering is not just to note the facts, it's our anniversary, but to actually live differently because of it. And so remembering stirs our affections, but it's not just with nostalgia or sentiment. It's meant to recalibrate us around some key truth, lesson, conversation, or reality worth holding on to. 
Tony Rinke says it this way. He says, remembering is a key verb of the Christian life. We recall our past, we correct our nearsightedness, we take heart, we regain mental strength, we find peace in the eternal word. Remembering is one of the key spiritual disciplines we must guard with vigilance amidst the mind fragmenting and past forgetting temptations of the digital age. Well, we're going to jump into Psalm 77. So again, if you have your Bible, flip there. Um, and we'll actually just be looking at verses 10 to 20. So since we're skipping over the first half of the chapter, verses 1 to 9, let me quickly summarize what happened there. So in Psalm 77, 1 to 9, um, the psalm writer, Asaph, he expresses a lot of doubts and pain and frustration. This is actually a lament psalm. And the psalm doesn't tell us specifically what's going on, but we can see that this applies to really any low point, any suffering, any trial, any fear or sorrow this psalm could apply to. You might notice in verse 2 that he speaks about the day of trouble he's in. In the following verses, he talks about crying out to God. He says he's not even able to sleep, that he's wearing himself out. And then we see in verses 6 to 9 that these questions of doubts and discouragement are starting to sink in. And so it's in this context of stress and sorrow and fear and worry that he turns to remembering. And remembering, again, is how we move from desperation and circumstances to trusting dependence on God. What we'll see in Psalm 77 is it's through remembering who God is and what he's done that we will believe in God to do it again. That the same God who was faithful in the past, the God who showed up in big, sometimes even miraculous ways, that he is the same unchanging, faithful God who promises to come through for us today, tomorrow, and next year. So let's quickly look at verses 10 through 20. I'll be summarizing these. In verses 10 to 12, we see a transition. So here the writer, he's shifting. And he now lets his faith in God's word kind of put in check these discouraging feelings that are going on. In verse 10, it says that he appeals to the years of God's faithful acts and works and words. In verse 11, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Verse 12 adds, he says, I will ponder all your work and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. So notice these words of remembering and meditating on and pondering. These all are talking about the way he will reflect on what God has done in the past and how that reveals who God is. So in verses 13 to 20, so moving past 10 to 12, in verses 13 to 20, the psalmist now, he moves into specifics. So he says, I'm going to remember, I'm going to meditate, and now he moves into specific things he's meditating on. Walter Brueggemann, he notes that there's a clear shift from the repeated emphasis of I in verses 1 to 12 to you in 13 to 20. I want to explore that, but I just want to remind us, even from this text, that when he's talking about I, I, I in verses 1 to 12, that's part of the reason he's discouraged and worried and fearful. And yet it's the focus on you, the focus on God throughout the rest of the psalm that kind of lifts his spirit. It rebuilds his faith. 
we see that remembering shifts the focus off who he is, what he's done, and onto God and what God has done. So in verses 13 to 15, he starts to recall the attributes of God, of what God is like. And then in 16 to 20, he shows those attributes through specific actions of God. So notice in verse 13, he says that God is holy. He asks, what God is great like our God? In verse 14, it says, he is the God who works wonders. He made his might known among the peoples. And then in verse 15, it says, he de- it declares he was through his powerful right arm that he redeemed his people. So these are attributes of God. And now in verses 16 to 20, he actually moves into specific actions. So he talks about who God is, that he's holy, that he's great, that he's powerful. But now he moves into his past, into his history to see where did I see those truths in action? God tells us what he's like, but where has that been verified and demonstrated in my own past? And so he goes back to one specific event in the life of Israel. You know, throughout the Old Testament, as they are remembering, they might go back to any number of events, but here he picks the Exodus. It's kind of the singular event that shows God's holiness and great and might and saving power all in one event. It tells us here that he not only redeems them from Egypt, but he leads them through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. Well, if you recall from reading Exodus, before they actually crossed the Red Sea, they thought they were doomed. So Egypt has them pinned up against the water. They know they're no match for the Egyptians, and they start to fear. They start to worry. They start to wonder, has God abandoned us? Has God led us here only to allow us to die? They can't imagine how this would possibly turn out well. They knew there was nowhere to turn, and they had no chance of winning. But what happened in Exodus, God shows up. That God had already proved himself when he did the plague, showing his power over Egypt. But now he shows up in the Exodus, taking them through the Red Sea, and shows he has power over creation itself. Our text in verses 18 and 19, it says that the waters actually fear him as he holds the waters back. In verse 19, it says that God creates a path through the sea. Now, I have an image from when this actually happened. Um, Kids, this is from the Ten Commandments. If you ever have six free hours, it's a great movie to watch. If you have 90 minutes, go watch The Prince of Egypt. You'll get the same idea. Well, this is where Moses kind of, you know, the sea parts. And again, this is telling us at this moment that the waters are held back by God as if it's nothing. That that is the kind of power and might he has. It tells us that his his footprints were unseen, but it was clearly God who was leading them along. And then in verse 20, it summarizes this whole event of the Exodus and this crossing of the Red Sea. And it says that God led them like a flock, that he was their shepherd, that he was their God, and they are his people. And so again, what's happening here is the writer, he's recalling a very specific event. And this is meant to reassure him and to reassure Israel that God of what God is capable of. That if God did this in the past, just imagine, just believe that he can do this again. 
So as an overview again, Psalm 77, don't miss the dramatic shift that's taken place. So when I summarize verses 1 to 9, we see the despair and the fear and the worry and the sorrow and the discouragement of this man. And yet, as he starts to remember, as he starts to reflect on God's faithfulness, on where God's power has showed up, on what God has done in the past, this despair starts to shift to hope and to trust and to belief. That the discouragement and pain of present day circumstances, they find light through the hope-giving memories of God's work in the past. And so part of what I hope we believe and see today is that today's struggles, so whatever you're going through, tomorrow's anxieties, whatever you're worried about, that those are confronted by considering God's past deliverances. That we fight what's ahead of us, we fight what we're dealing with today by remembering what God has already taught us and done in our past. And so this psalm, as he's leaning into this biblical practice of remembering, and so we learn that when present-day burdens and sorrows are big, or tomorrow's challenges fill us with fear and anxiety, one of the best things we can do, yes, we read our Bible, Yes, we pray, but we also take time to recall, to remember, where has God worked in the past? What has God done in my past? That we recall all the times that God showed up when situations seemed hopeless. We remember where God gave me strength and endurance where I didn't think I could keep going. That we remember how God stretched the budget where he supplied exactly what we needed when we needed it. Or we remember an answered prayer request that I had been asking God to do this and he clearly did it. Or we recall when God offered mercy or grace or even his presence when we needed it most. Or we recall that how God opened a door that seemed closed or how God has carried us through trial after trial. Those are the things we remember, we reflect upon, and we find again hope that the same God can do those same things in our life today. In Voskamp, she writes that God weaves who he is with the act of remembering, that he calls on us to know who he is by remembering, that the more we recall God's former faithfulness, the more it fuels our faith and trust for today and tomorrow. And so that's part of what the Bible talks about when it says remembering. But I want to take a minute and actually talk about the dangers of forgetting. So there's a lot of the Bible talking about remembering, but it also warns us about the dangers of forgetting. One of the problems with forgetfulness is if we forget what we've seen about God, if we forget the knowledge that God has given us, if we forget the spiritual lessons that we've learned, many of those through trials and tests, then it's likely we will have to learn those lessons again. Through remembering, we actually grow and we move forward in faith. But when we forget, we actually set ourselves back and we have to learn lessons again. One example of this is Psalm 78. So actually the next psalm. Um, Psalm 78 is another historical psalm. So it's tracing the history of Israel. It's a lot longer. um, So that's why I didn't pick that passage. Um, But it tells God's faithfulness throughout multiple stories of Israel's history. But in this text in chapter 78, we also see Israel, their unfaithfulness and their forgetfulness. So in 78.11 and 78.42, at least twice, it talks about them forgetting and them not remembering God. 
It says that because they did not remember God's power at the Exodus event, that they then gave in to fear and they give in to idolatry and they turn to other nations to find help. That rather than remembering God's deliverance and God's power and God's faithfulness and provision in the past, they start to worry and they fear because of this new trial, usually other nations coming after them. And so they put out of mind everything God has taught them. They forget everything God has done and instead they turn to other idols and other nations. That their disobedience and idolatry, it shows their forgetfulness. And they end up often suffering the consequences and they have to learn the lessons again, but it won't be easy. And we see this forgetfulness repeatedly in the Old Testament. Often we see that God will deliver Israel one day and then the next day they're grumbling. That God saves them and they forget about what God has done and so they turn to nations because they think they need their power. You know, we've also seen this in John's gospel that we've been going through. That Jesus does a miracle. That he feeds 5,000 and then only a couple days later they ask, can you do any kind of sign or miracle? Or Jesus teaches the disciples about the value and importance of humility. And then they ask, well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And so when we see all of this in the Bible, it's actually a mirror revealing our own hearts. That you and I, we are forgetful. That we are stubborn. That we misremember and we don't see the past correctly. We quickly neglect what God has done and we forget the answered prayer the lessons learned, and the spiritual truths. And this spiritual forgetfulness, it usually leads to us turning to an idol that never satisfied in the past, but we forget that, so we turn to it again. Or being overwhelmed by fear or worry, that we don't believe and trust in what God has done, and so we only see the circumstances and worries in front of us. And yet God tells us repeatedly not to forget all the benefits we have in him. We actually read that from Psalm 103 this morning where he says, don't forget all of these things I've done for you. And don't forget they come from me. That God doesn't want us just to remember for memory's sake, but he wants us to remember so that we trust him today and we trust him tomorrow. So the Bible has encouragements to remember. It has warnings not to forget. Now, to help you see that's not just like one or two isolated instances in the Old Testament, I just want to quickly list four things from the New Testament. So these are ways we see this, not just for those people, but for us as followers of Jesus. So this is where remembering and forgetfulness shows up in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his followers if they don't remember his miracle of feeding the 5,000, that he actually rebukes them for getting what he's just done And so what he can do in the next situation. In Luke 24, when the women visit Jesus' tomb, the angels actually tell them to remember the words of Jesus. That Jesus has said that he would die and on the third day he would rise again. And it says in that moment when they remembered Christ's words that they then again have faith. And it's after that they go tell the other disciples that Jesus is risen. So remembering recalls what Jesus has said and it gives them faith. Or in Ephesians, Paul, Paul twice tells the Gentiles to remember they are one people with the Jews because of Jesus. 
And so he says, remember this because then no division, no racism, or no elitism should exist. He reminds them that the gospel should unite us, so don't be divided. And finally, in Luke 15, and I love this one, it tells us how the prodigal son, that famous story, how he turns around because of remembering. It tells us that in the lowest low, that he comes to his senses and he's reawakened by recalling the life he had under his father, the life he should be living, and how far from that he has fallen. So it's remembering that stirs the prodigal son to actually turn home. And so the practice of remembering and not forgetting is all through the Bible, and it's a key part of how we follow God. I could go through more texts like this or like Psalm 77 that are calling us to remember God in ordinary moments, kind of on the spot in a given day, remembering God by looking back. But I want to take a few minutes and look at kind of special moments that God actually then takes this idea of remembrance and he builds it into our life and calendar. So we not only do it in ordinary moments or in day-to-day life, but there are specific days or seasons that we're called to remember God. So we'll first consider that there are feasts, festivals, and religious holidays throughout the Bible. And part of the purpose of these was not only to point to Jesus, but they existed because God wanted to build remembrance into the life of Israel. And he uses their calendar to do that. So similar to how we have Memorial Day this weekend, to set aside a day to remember with gratitude those who gave their life for our freedom So God built these days in the Bible to teach them truths and to keep them from forgetting. Now, some of the days or festivals commemorate specific acts of God. So Passover. Passover commemorated something specific God did. But other festivals and special days, they were just a reminder every year of truth about who God was. And so there was a harvest reminder that God is the one who has provided the rains and the food. And so God knows how forgetful we are, and he knows how sidetracked we get with the things of this world. And so he takes special days, special feasts, and he builds them into their life so that they can remember God. For just one example, we'll consider Passover, because Passover connects to what we've been talking about in Psalm 77 and the Exodus. So when God is about to deliver Israel from Egypt, he establishes the Passover festival. Israel is commanded to keep this every single year. It's a reminder every year of their captivity, of God's deliverance and redemption of them, of God's mighty hand that no nation could stop him, of the blood that spared their life, and of their need to be separated out to God. This is what Exodus 12 tells us about the Passover. It says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And so every year, this was a chance for God's people, for Israel to remember that God is the one who saved them, 
that God delivered them, that God is more powerful than any enemy we could face. And it was part of how they also passed on this faith and this legacy to later generations. That it was actually a fun festival providing a chance to remember who God is through what God has done. This isn't, again, a one-time thing, but there are many special days and feasts and festivals throughout the Bible. And so one thing we might learn from this isn't necessarily that we have to keep all of these specific days, but that we should take note of how God saw remembrance as so important to following him that he actually built it into the calendar of his people. That we need intentional times to turn our hearts to who God is through what he's done. At the end, when we talk about applications, we'll come back to that and consider how can we leverage our calendar to remember God in this way. Well, another thing we see in Scripture isn't just an emphasis on days, but on objects. That throughout the Old Testament, God tells his people to set up some altar of remembrance or to take some memorial object and to use this as a visual reminder of God's faithfulness. So for example of this, we'll go to Joshua 4. So this is when they finally are crossing over into the promised land. It says, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So what they do is they take 12 large stones from the river, and they pile these up. And so a memorial object was just something created that was a visual reminder of how God had revealed himself to them. And so every time they would walk by it, it was a chance to remember. Every time Israel would see these stones, they would look back and say, God is the one who delivered us, that he actually caused us to walk through the Jordan. It was a visual reminder of God's faithfulness. And we see these kind of memorial objects, these visual reminders, these special days all throughout the Bible. And again, I think what we can ask is, do we use our days? Do we find things to build into our life to remember who God is, to remember what he has taught us, to remember what God has done, and to not lose or forget all the spiritual lessons that we've gained? I want to move into just four practical ideas. So what do we do with all this? I've been kind of skimming the surface of what the Bible talks about with remembering and forgetting, but hopefully you get a glimpse of how important and how helpful this can be for the Christian life. But I want to give four practical ways, both individually, but also as a church together, we might lean into this and practice it more. The first is record in order to remember. So record by writing down somewhere so you can later rehearse the word and the works and the ways of God. You know, we trust our brain's ability to keep details more than we should. You know, 
When I go to the grocery store, my wife might give me a few things to get. It's less than 10 items. It's a five-minute drive. And literally every time, I forget at least one of those items. Usually it's the most important item, but I make up for it by getting myself peanut butter M&Ms and a couple other good things. And so if that's less than 10 items, less than a 10-minute drive, and I always forget, how can we trust ourselves to remember what God has done weeks and months and years later? We can't. Our brains are weak, and we forget. And that's why we need to record in order to rightly recall. And so use a journal. Use the Notes app on your phone or on an iPad. Use a Word document. You know, find note cards in your house. Find some way that you can write down what God has done, what he has taught you, how he has proven himself in your life, in your small group, in the church. Find ways to record what God has taught you. Use the margins of your Bible to write down, God taught me this on this day, or this is a key spiritual truth. But write things down or you just won't remember them. We write things down in order to recall it. And I take up, feels like 100 pictures of my daughter a week. And we take pictures because we don't want to lose important moments. But the same is true for writing things down. We write things down because we don't want to lose important thoughts and experiences. So the first thing we could do is I think all of us could probably grow in taking record of what God has done in order to recall it. The second is to be intentional with your calendar. By that, I mean leverage your calendar, holidays, traditions, important events, and even milestones to intentionally practice this discipline. You might have noticed the last couple years here at College Park Fishers, we've been doing more tied to the historical church or liturgical calendar. We've been leaning into seasons like Lent and Advent more. And we've not been doing that because we think those are mandated by the Bible, but we do think those are good examples of having seasons set aside to remember the work of Christ, what he has done for us, and how that impacts our life. You know, our calendars, both within a given week or over a semester, they end up guiding us along a lot more than we realize. That often our calendars and our schedule, they run our life. And so unless we take important things and we build them into our calendar and our schedule and our week and our year, we often will neglect important truths and practices. So whether it's the church calendar or holidays, days like birthdays, or even using family traditions, think of how you can leverage these things to look back, to say, what has God taught me over this last year? What did God do on this day? What does this day or week or season remind me about who he is and his character so that even now I can bank on him for what I'm facing. Well, the third is celebrate and share God's faithfulness. You know, together as a church, we need to create a culture of celebrating God, of commemorating his works, and remembering his faithfulness. We need to become storytellers to one another who brag on God through the big things and the small things of what he's doing in our life. We need to tell one another what he's doing in our life, in our family, in our small group or Bible study or discipleship group, or in the ministry that you serve in and you're a part of. You know, this is one way together as a church, we can remember what God has done. We'd love to have more testimonies on Sunday morning, sharing not just how you came to faith, but what God has done in your life recently. 
We'd love our Sunday night, our prayer and worship night, to part of that time always be dedicated to hearing stories of God's work in your life, of what has God taught you recently? What has God done that you can brag on him, not only to do that, but to encourage the body together? We'd love in our small groups, in our Bible studies, in our discipleship groups, to see more of that time dedicated to just talking about what God is doing. Yes, we want to dive into the word. We want to dive into prayer. We want to talk about one another's lives. But we also want to encourage one another by remembering what has God done and what is God doing now. Well, let me add here that this is one area where we especially need our older saints. Now, I don't know what age group that starts with. You can make that decision. I don't know where the seasoned saints line is. But I do know our church is full of godly people who have lived a long life experiencing the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of God. And even though my gray hairs, they're increasing at an alarming rate, I still consider myself in the young group. And so I want you to hear from me how much we need you as older people, older believers, older saints in our church. That we need you to be the storytellers, passing on to later generations all the ways God has proven his word and promises in your life through the ups and downs over the decades. We need to hear your personal stories of how you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We need to see how you've seen God at work in your life and in the life of those around you. We want to hear from you how God has sustained you when your faith is weak, how he carried you through marriage and parenting and single problems and financial struggles and work issues. We want to hear your stories of what God has taught you, what God has done, and how he has proven himself year after year, decade after decade. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you can draw from, the more you have to share when it comes to remembering. So my encouragement is to not keep those stories to yourself, but find young people that you can bring under your wing. Get into a group of younger people or have a couple or a single person over to your home or share at one of those events I mentioned. But find ways to pass on not only the faith of what you believe, not only what's right and wrong, but how you have seen and experienced God's goodness and power over the years. We need you to be the rememberers in our congregation. Well, lastly, we need to disciple by remembering. This is kind of like the last one, but it actually focuses more on parenting. But I think it applies to grandparenting. It applies to working with kids or students. And really applies to any discipleship in general. My caution here for parents is I do think sometimes we, we get too focused on simply making sure they're learning truths. Making sure we're nailing the family devotional. And yet a lot of times families are rarely talking about with their kids how they have seen and experienced those truths in their life. Parents, the truth is, especially if you're bringing them here to College Park, they're getting a lot of good truth. They know a lot of good things. But you need to help them see these aren't theoretical beliefs, but these are living truths about who God is. You need to tell them how these things have been demonstrated in your own life. And this is part of what we do by remembering with our children or with grandchildren or any disciple. Let me give you one example of that. 
So you might be teaching your kids about a truth about God. So let's say you want to teach your kids about the power of God. You know, we have Sundays where we talk about the power of God. That's an important attribute. There are a lot of Bible passages you could teach. So once you do that, once you kind of lay a structure or foundation, then add to it by recalling instances in your own life where you have seen God's power. So tell them how God opened those closed doors. Tell them about how God helped you do something you know you couldn't do in your own strength. Tell them about how God provided in a situation where it felt hopeless. Tell them how you have seen God's power in your own life. So we teach them truths from the Bible, but then we show them those truths from our life, from their life, and from our history. That through telling them these stories, these true stories, we put scripture in terms of their world and history. And this is what Israel is repeatedly told to do. That in all those verses about special feasts and festivals and memorial objects, there's always a line about tell the coming generation. We saw this in Joshua 4 that I read about when they cross over the Jordan. It says later on, when they ask you, why are these stones here? You can tell them about God's power and God's might. So my encouragement, yes, do the devotionals. Yes, teach them truth. Yes, tell them what's right and wrong. But just as important, remember with them. Show them what God has done in your life and their life and in the life of the church. Church, we need to regain the practice of spiritual remembering. By recalling what God has done, we find faith for what God might do today and can do tomorrow. We need to look back on God's faithfulness when we face new trials, new temptations, and new fears. So don't forget who God is, what he's done, and what he's taught you. Remembering is God's means by which his people move from fear to faith and from discouragement and circumstances to trusting dependence on God. Let me pray for us. God, I know many of the people here in this room have experienced your power and your goodness and your might in many ways. And yet, God, we just confess that we do quickly forget that. I know so often I wonder, has, has God answered any prayer requests? And as I think back, he has time and time again. So God, I pray even today and this week, you would stir up our hearts. Teach us how to practice remembering, how to recall all the things you have taught us and done for us and done in us. Lord, use that to give us faith and trust today. But as we sing this song now, stir in us remembrance as we recall your faithfulness. Amen.